chapter, Acts chapter 9, and I would invite you to, to rest your eyes on verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And here's the verse. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you for this time that we've come together. For you said where two or three are gathered in your name, you are in the midst. And God, we're thankful that you're here. Now bless what will be heard as you direct by the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, what we need to know that we might live in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is never a good day when an expensive household appliance breaks down. In fact, it's often more costly to repair a broken refrigerator, stove, or washing machine these days than it is to replace it. Now, when these appliances have failed in our house, like you, we are forced to make a decision about replacing the appliance that is obviously necessary. One of the ways that I've tried to handle those unexpected expenses is to go to what was called the Sears Warehouse Outlet. Found out about that through Elder Gray scratch and dent. Now all of the items were new but damaged. They were either scratched or dented and sometimes the best bargains were the refrigerators that had both dent and scratch. <laughs> now although the items were new, something happened to them from the time they left the warehouse and by the time they arrived at our house. 
the movers may have improperly lifted uh, the refrigerator or stove or whatever that appliance was or dropped it. Of course, they didn't say anything or it might have fallen off a shelf in, a, in the warehouse. Um, no one died, so no one reported it. And so it ended up damaged and returned. Now, when you go to a scratch and dent department, you know that you're, you're purchasing something that is damaged goods. And the goal is to find that dishwasher that has the least noticeable damage at the lowest price. So you know it's damaged, but you're trying to find one that has a scratch or dent that you have to really pay attention to see. And of course, you want to get a good price. Now, after making your purchase and getting it delivered, we do whatever we can to conceal the damage. And for the most part, when people come to our homes, you don't say, look at my dent. Look at the scratch. Oh, you figure out a way to keep it under wraps. You, you're not trying to advertise. And people generally, unless you're really looking, are not going to see that you purchase damaged goods. Unfortunately, no matter how, what you do to hide the scratch or the dent, there are two, at least two people that know that the property that you purchase is damaged. That's Sears and you. Now, it may work great and look great, but it's still damaged goods. How many of you know that the local church is God's scratch and dent department? Every single person in the warehouse, in spite of how we cover it up, we're dented and scratched. Although you may not know where my scratch and dent is, I'm damaged. I'm damaged. Sometimes we can walk in this Christian walk so long that we can forget that we're scratched and dented. We cover it up with credentials and, and a big house on a hill and a couple nice cars and titles, and that can make us suffer from spiritual amnesia. But no matter how we hide it or try to dismiss it from our minds, the truth still remains. We're, we're damaged. We're damaged goods. And until you and I accept that fact, we will never be relevant, radical, or able to do anything rebooting that has an eternal impact on the world that the Lord has left us to minister to. We're in the world, but not to be of the world, but to be in the world, to reach it the way Christ intends for us to do it. We need to recognize that we are surrounded by damaged goods. Now, I want to share uh, just three things from the Word of God with you regarding the fact that we're damaged. Say, I'm damaged. Now, now if you don't believe it, you don't have to say it. I, I'm damaged. Sister Benson, I saw you in your pajamas, too, by the way. Amen. I recognize those. Uh, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. But just, just 
passing, passing, passing. <laughs> Three things that I want to share. Yeah, damaged goods, damaged goods. <clears throat> Christ came to fix damaged people. That's why Jesus came. Secondly, Christ's work does not remove all the damage caused by sin. All the buffeting shining does not completely take away the total impact of sin in our life. Then thirdly, Christ uses damaged people to accomplish his will for the glory of God. We're damaged, but the Lord chooses to use those who are damaged, scratched and dented, to accomplish his will. Now, in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, we have the Magna Carta of Jesus, the mandate, his mission, his reason for being in the world, having left heaven. And I was reminded again, as was our, the, the vision of the church was read, that one of the things that keeps you on target is to know what your purpose is. And Christ never lost focus for why he came into this damaged world. We read in verse 17, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and, recover, and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the accepted year of the Lord. And the Bible says, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. And in verse 21, he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. These verses reveal to us the four reasons why Jesus left the glory of heaven, the majesty, the splendor of heaven. And one of the reasons that he left, it's clear, he said, he had sent me to mend the brokenhearted. Jesus came because people are damaged and need fixing. If you and I had been the only ones in the world, he would have come. But he came because our hearts needed mending. The Father sent him to help hurting people. The pain that is all around us but is often concealed, like the blood of Abel, is crying out from the earth to heaven and into the ears of God. And the heart of God is broken because it was never his intention for us to suffer in the manner in which we are. Now, while we as Americans, we have more than we've ever had and far more than we need, we find that there's an epidemic of drugs in the suburbs and in the lowliest ghetto. The doctor who's prescribing you medicine may be strung out on opioids. 
the teacher that is instructing your child may be taking mind-altering drugs. The pilot who is navigating your plane may have just completed a cocaine-induced, mind-numbing uh, all-nighter while flying you to your next destination. Drug addiction is epidemic in this country. People are trying to do everything they can to numb themselves of all of the stress that is like an avalanche that you just, every time you turn around, there's something new. People say, I don't watch the news and I don't read. Yeah, okay, it's still happening. <laughs> and while you're uh, using the drug of your video games or your text messaging or Skyping or whatever you're doing to avoid the world that is happening around you, what you in fact are doing is numbing yourself to the reality of your inward pain. I want you to know that evil has been released on this planet, in this country, in ways that, has, that is unprecedented. What happened in New Zealand, the execution of 50 Muslims praying, that was evil. I want you to know what occurred on March the 11th in Wilmington when three mass gunmen invaded a home and separated family members to find two 17-year-old teenagers. The mother holding her three-month-old infant, they gunned them down, shooting them multiple times. I want you to know that evil is all around us. And while Christians are quick to respond to the evil of abortion, I want you to know that racism is evil too. Amen. And I want you to understand that the God of heaven is going to hold pastors who remain silent in the pulpit about the social injustices that are unprecedented in this country where black men are being gunned down as if they're live game for hunting season. I want you to understand something very clearly, that what is happening in Washington, D.C. is evil and terrifying if you don't know Jesus. And I want you to understand that while God says pray for those who are in authority, and he says that the heart of the king is in the hand of God like rivers of water and he turns it, we need to get serious about calling on God because the reason why the country is the way it is is not Donald Trump because I hear the word of God saying, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their sins, I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. I want you to understand that the problem didn't start in the White House. It started in God's house. The church has failed, and we no longer can remain silent when Delaware, one of the, small, the smallest state in the country, has one of the highest per capita murder rates every year. It's time for the church 
to speak out. But Jesus came, the Bible says, to heal the brokenhearted. He came to deal with Wilmington. He came to deal with your pain. He came to address your struggles in your marriages with your children. He came. He came for that. He came to deal with the pain of damaged people. He came to preach the good news, which fixes the deepest need of our heart. He says to proclaim the good news. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, of God, of Christ, for it is the power, it is the dunamis of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. There's power in the gospel. But the gospel never stops with just giving people word. The Bible says, because the type of faith that the gospel in, ignites in us meets people where they are, it feeds the hungry, it clothes the naked, it rescues girls that have been sold into sex slavery. It does not ignore human need. Jesus came thirdly to prepare us to serve God on earth and to live in heaven. When, you, when, when, we, are when we are delivered, when the captives are set free, when the blind are given their vision, they're no longer walking in darkness. When, when those who are suffering from mental and emotional oppression and disease are delivered. He doesn't just deliver us so that we can walk away healthy. The Bible says the God of all comfort comforts us that we may what? Become a comfort to others. And so Jesus came to prepare us to serve. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you that you may bear much fruit. In other words, it is a privilege to serve. We've been called to serve. That's why Jesus came. And finally, Jesus came to perfectly fulfill scripture that was promised that the Son of God would come when Jesus opened up the scroll, when the scroll of Isaiah was opened up in the temple that day. Jesus was actually fulfilling a prophecy that was made 800 years before he ever took on human form, before the Word of God became man. There was a prophecy made by Isaiah. It didn't refer to him or any other who lived during contemporaneously with Isaiah. It was speaking of Christ, that he would come and preach to the brokenhearted, that he would set the captives free. And when Jesus read that scripture, the Bible says he sat down and he said, in your hearing, this word is fulfilled. And so Christ came to perfectly fulfill the prophecy. He said, I did not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And in one way that he was fulfilling the law was perfectly living a perfect and obedient life. And all that simply means that the promise that God made 800 years before Jesus came, and even prior to that, way back in the Garden of uh, Eve, when the Lord says he was willing to put enmity between the seed of a man and, and, and Satan, and that women would have childbirth through pain, but that he would raise up a son whose heel would be bruised, but he would mortally wound the head of Satan. The promise was made way before, and what God was saying by sending Jesus you're on my mind. I want you to know, even back in the garden when the Lord said, way back in eternity past, he said, let us make man in our own image. He didn't have to do that. But you and I were on the mind of God even before there was a you and an I. I like the way David said it in Psalm 8, verse 4, as a worshiper. He said, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? 
and human beings that you care for us. God doesn't have to care, but I want you to understand that he is concerned about those who are damaged. He is concerned about us, and that's why he sent Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is after Jesus clearly states why he was sent to help those who are damaged. The Bible says that those who were gathered in the room, some, the scripture says, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious word. They, were, they marveled. They were amazed. They were astonished at the, 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 the confidence and the authority in which Jesus spoke. And then the Bible says, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? They didn't think, the reason why they turned the attention away from the message and focused on the man is because when you don't think you're damaged, the reason Jesus came is irrelevant to you. When you don't understand that we are sinners saved by grace. When you don't understand that we, but for the grace of God, are capable of doing things that we could never even imagine doing, that that could be you or me walking the streets at night trying to get money by selling our bodies. That could have been us trying to rob a bank or, or, or whatever without the Holy Spirit. We are capable of doing what anybody who doesn't know Jesus could do. When you don't recognize what your potential is apart from Christ, not only will you not see your need for him as a sinner in need of God's grace and mercy, but you will not have a burden for the lost. You will not be concerned about people dying and spending eternity separated from God in a place prepared for the devil and his angels called hell. And so until I come to the understanding that I need Jesus because I'm damaged, I'm broken, something needs to be fixed. And the only way that it's going to be fixed, if God doesn't intervene, my, I'm never going to think right. I'm, I'm never going to ever, ever do what is totally right. Because David says, he says, behold, I was, I was shaped in iniquity and sin that my mother conceived me. I was born a sinner. And my, my greatest desire and propensities is to follow who I am by my nature. And so Jesus first came. He came to fix hurting people. Now, some of you might have read about the bold eagle, that somehow had fallen on the metro track in Maryland and was unable to free itself during rush hour traffic. Now, what's interesting, I heard that about that story in Philadelphia, about what happened in Maryland. And so when the authorities became aware of this poor American symbol of greatness had somehow become trapped between the tracks during rush hour, the order was given to stop all movement on the track. They shut down the entire section of the rail, railway for two hours to rescue this bald eagle. 
Now, the travelers who were heading home were not aware at first what the delay was. And you know, some of Ham's children were on those trains. And, 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 and they started saying, and, and not just, just Ham's children, some of us. People became very upset and, and angry, and then it was announced that there was a bald eagle on the track, and the experts had been called in, and, and, and the, the top of their fields were now on the track doing their best to get this poor, helpless creature rescued. And then people calmed down. They were okay with it. It gets better. They finally get this poor bald eagle separated from the track, and the the patrons on the, on the train, they start, they give a standing ovation to the authorities. The, the, the eagle is, is carefully uh, put on a, a pallet and, and carried like a, like a human being who may be paralyzed and taken to the ambulance and a full entourage of police and ambulances taking this poor creature. They get the creature to the hospital. They x-ray it. They look at records from other eagles who have suffered the same injury. <laughs> And then the experts concluded, after hours of research, all free of charge, and they decided, there's nothing we can do. And then they took a vote. They weren't, one of them wasn't going to take the risk of making, uh, getting a lawsuit. You mean, you know, eagles can sue you now. So they weren't going to make the risk. And so they all agreed that the most humane thing to do was to euthanize the eagle. And so they killed the eagle, and they had his obituary in the paper, and how sad it was that they had to put this, and, and, and when I thought about that, <laughs> after all that they did, and the thousands of, the manpower, the money involved, the expertise involved, after they did all, they couldn't do anything to help the creature. And I thought about the fact that we, like them, are more concerned <laughs> about about animals and dogs and cats and birds than we are about sinners that are dying every single day without Jesus. We won't even knock on the door of our neighbor to tell them that good news is still true, that Jesus still lives, that Jesus still loves them, and you can know him in the pardon of your sins. And the good news is this, I don't care what you've been through, what you're struggling with, what the doctor has diagnosed, this Jesus that I'm talking about, he, he don't have to look at no x-rays, he don't have to look at no research, he can touch you or say, and you'll be healed. There's not a case that he can't take care of. We spend more money helping animals if we used half of that to give some of these young men in Wilmington jobs, the murder rate would disappear. I want you to understand that Jesus came to help hurting people. And if a church is not involved in that, we have no purpose for existing. If all we do is get in our cars every Sunday to drive here and to be fed at God's banquet table and get full on the word and drive back the same way we came, never even looking to the right or to the left and not shedding a tear about what's going on. 
we're no different from those who don't know Jesus. He came to fix hurting people, broken, damaged people like you and me. Now, Christ's work does not remove all the damage caused by sin. Look with me at Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 21. Here's what the work of Christ does do. And the work of Christ, here's what I mean by that. Christ came to earth to live a sinless, perfect life to satisfy God's perfect demands for a, for a sacrifice that was without spot or blemish because the scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so Christ became that perfect sacrifice. The Bible says that we have not a high priest who cannot understand our suffering. But Jesus, God's eternal son, was tempted in all points like as we are, yet, yet without sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin, and by sin I mean falling short of God's perfect requirement. Sin is disobeying what God says yes to him. We say no. It's disobeying the commands of God. The Bible says that he that knew no sin became sin for us. And so what happens when Jesus died for us and we receive him by faith, what he does, he breaks the power of sin. I no longer have to live under its control, under its dominion. He removes the penalty and guilt of sin, but what he doesn't do, he does not remove the presence of sin from our life. Sin still inhabits this body in the person of what the Bible calls our old nature or sin nature, the Adamic nature, the fallen nature. So the power has been broken. There is therefore no more condemnation. I'll never stand before God to be judged for my sin as it relates to getting into heaven or not. The power is broken by forgiveness, therefore being justified by faith. I have peace with God. So positionally, I, the power has been broken. The penalty is gone, the guilt, but the presence of sin is still there. Let me help you this way. If you ever owned an old car, I'm talking about a real old car, <laughs> the kind you can hear before you see them, I used to drive a pacer, and uh, the kids didn't have a choice. It had a beige door, a blue door. It was like a bubble. And the only reason I may not be, I'm not driving it now. We were driving up 52nd in Lancaster in Philadelphia, and the car so low to the ground. We were driving, didn't try to go to church, and the, tri the, 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 uh, the gas uh, tank actually hit the uh, tracks, the railroad track, the trolley tracks. Uh, 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 a deacon, the trolley tracks, and it ripped the whole gas uh, uh, cage out. The whole gas, what do they call it? And, yeah, the gas tank. It's called something else, but the, the muffler and all that was hanging on the ground. And all the oil just came out in instantly. And say we were parked in the middle of 52nd and Lancaster, nowhere to go. But if you own the old car, what happens is, as soon as you get one thing fixed, something else breaks. That's like sin living in us. The power and penalty and guilt has been removed, 
But because the presence of sin is still there, as soon as God fixes one area in our life, something else is broken. That's why the Bible says that he who began a good work in you, he is perfecting it. He's working. We are under construction. We're under construction until we get to heaven. And so here's what I want to say about this damaged good thing. See, I could have preached a real hallelujah sermon, and they ain't good, and I know, and real, I know how to do that. But I want to teach you something. And I'm hoping that you will understand when you leave here that even though you're damaged, there's still something that God has for you to do. The conflict going on inside of us is real. Say it's real. The conflict is real. Listen at Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. There's a nature that lives in us where good is not residing. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do that I do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what is not what I, what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but it is sin living in me that does it. He says there's a real conflict. He says living in me is the enemy. We have the old nature. And he says, I know what to say to my wife. I know how I should act. I know I shouldn't, I, I, I shouldn't say it. And no, keep on driving, don't stop. But here I am again. I stopped, I said it, I looked, that I, and I shouldn't have looked. And he said, the reason I'm doing it, I'm not blaming the devil. There's someone in me called my own nature that is in conflict. Paul said, this I say, walk in the spirit that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh and the spirit are contrary, are in conflict one with another. We got to walk in spirit. The conflict is also constant. Say constant. When you damage, the conflict will be real, but it's also going to be constant. So he says, so I find a law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's my butt. You know, my body said, goodness and mercy follow me all the rest, all the days of my life. And so does my Adamic nature. I brought him to church. He's going home with me. And I'm not talking about your husband or your wife. I'm talking about the enemy who's in you. For in my inner being, I delight in God. There's a, the spirit of God. I delight. The Bible says, in his word, I, he delights in the word both day and night. I can't wait to read my word. I can't wait to pray. But the flesh says, look at this just a little longer. The flesh says, you work so hard all day. The flesh says, you need some rest. The flesh says, you can get to that tomorrow. And by, by, before you know it, a day, a week, and a month have passed, and you haven't even opened up your Bible. The desire is there. I want you to understand that there's never a moment in the day that your old sinful nature takes a break. Amen. 
when you go on vacation, your sin nature follows you. I came back to school one day at Cheney, like four in the morning. We were out helping, doing something spiritual. We actually were in Philadelphia, came back real late. And I saw that all the vending machines had been broken, busted up. Somebody had robbed the vending machines. And here's the spirit just say, say never rest. Say never goes on vacation. When the, church is set, when the church doors shut down and when we're not trying to find a place where folks can come, guess where? If you don't give folks something to do that's going to build them up in righteousness, the devil will find something for them to do that will strengthen them in the area of weakness and evil. The conflict is constant. The conflict is constant. <laughs> The conflict, though, will conclude. The conflict will conclude. Say it will conclude. In Romans chapter 8, verse 21 through 23, this is the word of God. Paul speaking. And by the way, the one who was talking about the constant conflict of the old nature and, and the, 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 the conflict being real, that was the apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament. He established most of the church. And he said, oh, woe is me, oh, wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? And, and, and Paul, he actually, he's speaking about a Roman practice when they wanted to demonstrate how serious they took a particular crime against the, 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 the Roman government. What they would do, if you murdered someone or if you conspired with someone, they would kill the person and they would place the corpse on your back. And you had to carry that corpse on your back through the city, walking with that corpse until you became infected by the corpse and you died from what killed the corpse. And so Paul said, who shall? I got this corpse on my back called the old nature. I got this sin on me, hounding me, beating me down, taking me away from God. Who shall deliver me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God for Jesus. Thanks be to God for Jesus. The conflict will conclude. Paul says, because of creation itself, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. He says, there's coming a day where not only will the power, the power and penalty of guilt will be removed, but the very presence of sin, he said, all of creation is like a woman that is travailing in the ninth month of labor. She's already dilating and, and the baby's about to be delivered. And ladies, I don't never know what that's like. And God bless you. Don't want to ever experience it. Thank God he made me a man and you a woman. And you got the power, ladies. God bless you, sister. sister. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> That baby has to be delivered. But until it is delivered, there's pain. There's discomfort. And so Paul said, the spirit of God who dwells in us, when you are the temple of God and the spirit is dwelling in you, is like that baby in the ninth month and you dilated. And the spirit of God in us, who is Christ, the hope of glory, he wants to be delivered so that we will no longer be subject to this corruptible mortal flesh. One day, we will be delivered 
from the limitations of this body and be ushered into the very presence of the Lord. That's why I don't get it when people are standing at the bedside, stage four cancer, mom 97 and three quarters. Oh, Satan, you can't have her. I declare, I declare that the devil was defeated. I say, take your hand. And they, you know, what? Paul says, this momentary affliction does not compare to the weight of glory that is waiting for us because we've got a body, a temple that's not made by hands waiting for us in glory. The conflict will conclude. Right now it's constant and real. One of my favorite movies was A Nutty Professor. You guys saw Eddie Murphy. Professor Clump. He had a, you got, when I say stuff about women and weight, not just women, when you say something about women, it's so sensitive today. You don't want to make them mess around like you looking down on women who are taking care of their children at home. Oh, God, don't say that they're just doing that, because that's belittle. No, there's no greater honor than to be able to be at home with your children and raise up a godly seed. I'm sorry. If you have a problem with that, you tell God, because that's in the Word. And don't speak about weight. When did that become an altar? When, that be, when did that become? We know more about our calories and the number of steps we've taken and how we weighed out. We don't know the word of God, but we sure know about the latest diet. I want you to understand that while the physical, taking care of our physical body is important, the Bible says, but seek ye first. First! The kingdom of God and his, not your waistline, not society's definition of a perfect body and a perfect face. There's no such thing because the Bible says, I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made because God, God made me. And guess what? He doesn't make any mistakes. Clump was the professor, and he became interested, I think it was Janet, I don't know which one, but yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that, that, pick it, yeah, pick it, pink it, yeah, Will Smith's wife, sometimes. <laughs> so, he created this formula that would allow him to lose weight instantly and become his alter ego. Clump the kind, humble, soft-spoken person would become Buddy Love. <laughs> and when he was Buddy Love, the adapt- when he was the, the old man, He would do things that were immoral. He would say things that were not right without any conscience. But the benefit was that he could affect women and attract, and that's what the devil will do through our flesh. He'll let us attract what will please the flesh. 
But when Crump realized, Crump realized that Buddy Love was trying to take over, he decided to stop taking the formula. And when Buddy Love realized that Clump was trying to get rid of him, this waging war begins to occur between Clump and Buddy Love. Clump and Buddy Love. And they, they literally were physically fighting each other, and, and Buddy Love was winning the fight. But when Professor Clump decided to depend on an inner strength to focus on making a decision and not Fought, respond in his emotions, all of a sudden he was able to defeat Buddy Love. Now we know in the Christian realm, ain't no such thing as no Buddy Love potion. And ain't no such thing as inner strength that's going to remove the Buddy Love in our life. But I want you to understand that we do all have some Buddy Love. We don't call him that. He's the old man. He's a Adamic man. He's a fallen man. And if we aren't careful, if we don't feed the spirit man in us, the old man will run our lives. But one day, when I'm in his presence, sin will be removed. Let me finish with this. Christ will use damaged goods that are surrendered to him for his glory. Now in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19, we're not going to go through all the details of that. But I want you to know, starting in verse 10, speaking, God speaking, are you with me? The scripture says, then in chapter 9, how about if I use chapter 9? Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. The first thing that I want you to understand about how God will use damaged goods is that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, it says that we are God's workmanship created under good works. So that means that like Ananias, God has an assignment for you. God has an assignment for each and every one of us as believers. Now, we talked about that in, in Bible study. We won't go into all the details of that. You have an assignment. The Lord spoke to him, and the Lord called him by name. It's a unique call, a specific call. It's your call. God knows how to get our attention. In the Scripture, the Bible says that he spoke to Ananias by vision. Whatever God has to do to get your attention, sometimes he has to slap us upside the head, put us in the hospital. Dr calling people in to read last rites, and you're not even Catholic. <laughs> to finally get up. In this case, he spoke to Ananias in a vision. And when God speaks, and I believe every time we open up this word that God is speaking because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that the man and woman of God may be what? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so when you open up this Bible, this is God speaking. When you say no to this Bible, you're saying no to God. Somebody said amen. All right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Sister Sabrina said amen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, amen. She raised her hand. Now. Ah, hallelujah. That must be true then. You must answer God's call. This is so important. You need to hear this. You need to answer God's call. And he said, here's how he answered. He said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Now watch, here, watch this. 
Silence to God's voice is an answer. When you don't respond, you don't have to say yes or no. Just be quiet. You've already answered. Selective hearing is an answer. You talk to people and you say, your mother or dad has stage four leukemia, whatever, is it not, it's chronic, it's acute, and they only heard they're going to get better because we're going to give them one more. But they didn't say that. And so sometimes when we're reading the word of God, there are certain parts of the Bible you ain't even going to read. Wives, submit your, I don't got to read that. I already heard that. <laughs> Husbands, love your wives unconditionally. Love your wife like the, you don't, the, the, God, you ain't living with her. I'm living with her. <laughs> so selective hearing. And here's the trick of the devil. That's why Paul says, when I came to you, I came to you in trembling because the messenger can mess up the message. I can, I, I can say something that's not in, in, in my humanity that you hear, and the devil will make sure if you hear nothing about the sermon, he said that all men, I, I, all, all you heard was all men. And then you filled, it, filled in the blank. Saying no is an answer. You can say no. Jonah said, I would rather fight than switch. You can say no to God. And there are people who actually think that they're saying no to me or no to leadership. And oh, you hate, listen. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He is the undisputed everywhere. God has never been defeated. He will always get his man. So when you decide to put your fist in the face of God, I can just, I'm going to stand back. All my responsibility is, is to tell you what God says. Saying, here I am, Lord, is the right answer. When God tells you to do something, we're going to see it's, 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 going, it's always going to blow your mind. It's not going to be what you would do on your own. Now, notice the person that he spoke to was Ananias. Ananias. He wasn't a pastor, no credentials, no theology, no church plan. He was just an anonymous, ordinary, everyday new member at Christian and New Direction Bible Fellowship. We will never hear about this man again after, after Acts chapter 9. And I don't know what you think about yourself in terms of your role and significance in the church, but God is looking for ordinary Christians, ordinary believers who are willing to say, here I am. Here I am. I heard the, all I need to know. Is it the voice of God? Is it scripture? Here I am. What set him apart was that he was damaged. One of the ways we're going to see his that he was there, he was scared when God told him what to do. He's like, what? <laughs> go to Mississippi and, 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 and go to the Ku Klux Klan and, and, and pass out tracks? Are you serious, God? Pray for the president by name? That God would bless him. Ananias was, was damaged, but he was willing to serve, and he recognized the voice of the Lord. Here's what I want to say. Until you as a Christian learn how to recognize the voice of God for yourself, you're not ready to serve. Sit your butt in the pew. Don't ask to do anything. 
You need to know that God told you to do it. And if you don't know the voice of God, you're going to, every time somebody asks you or tell you, you're going to be doing it. And when they don't ask or tell you, you're going to think that, they, that, that God is against you. No, you better hear from God. Because if God didn't tell you to do it, the first time somebody hurt your feelings, you won't quit. You need to learn how to hear from the Lord. I'm constantly, what is God saying to you? Have you prayed about it? He recognized the voice of the Lord. And then not only must you answer the call and accept your, uh, you need to accept the assignment. Say accept the assignment. Accept the assignment. And here's what's hard about the assignment. Where God told him to go, it made no sense. He said, I want you to go to a street called Straight. I would already say, street called Straight. To a house that is owned by men named Judas. Judas, remember? Not the Judas who uh, sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The most notorious. Judas's name is so notorious, nobody names their child Judas ever. <laughs> nobody names their daughter Jezebel unless they, they hate him. They'll name him Octopus first before they name him Judas. Or Rahim, Shaheem, Daim. Uh, yeah. Now I'm getting in trouble. Let me go with <laughs> So where God, well, God will tell you, somebody offended you, go and ask them for forgiveness. Go to them. Go, don't wait for them to come to you. You get in your vehicle that I gave you, and you go and you make reconciliation. Makes no sense. Now, who he told him to ask also made no sense. Saul of Tarsus, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Saul was commissioned by the Jewish uh, religious leaders to execute and imprison every Christian he saw. He was en route. That was his assignment, to gather up every Christian in Damascus and bring them back. So Lord said, I want you to go and witness to your worst enemy. And here's the deep thing. If you don't go to the people that you least want to deal with, their healing is in your hands. He said, when you go, Ananias, I know you have, you know this man's reputation. I know he's been in a danger to the church. But when you go, you're going to be able to, you're going to, be able to do something because he knows you're his enemy. He knows he's done the church wrong. When you lay hands on him, oh, I'm going to get my pastor. I'm going to get the elder. No, you go, Ananias, and you put your hands on that situation. Some of the people in your family will never be healed until you go. You may be waiting for them to tell you that they're sorry and they're going to fix it. And No, no. God is waiting for you. I was talking to my son the other night, yesterday, and he's calling, he's talking to me again. And uh, I said, son, all those days that you spent in the basement on doing your music and being by yourself, I thought that meant you were okay. And really it meant he was hiding and he was hurting. And I missed it. I missed it. And so for years, we are 
we are, we're, we're separating, getting further and further apart because I don't know him and he really doesn't know me and he doesn't know to tell me that the reason, Dad, I'm not coming out of the basement is because I'm afraid and I have problems with, with interaction. He was, he was, all of those things had become a problem. I didn't know. And then the Lord laid on my heart. He never told me. The Lord just put on my heart, you tell your son, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I missed those opportunities to put my arms around you in a different way from what I did with the other three children. And I want to make it right. I don't want to be right. I want to make it right. He started apologizing. Oh, Dad, don't worry about it. Don't take it that serious. And it wasn't all bad. He's trying to help me. No, no. I want this healed. I want this healed. Because my going to him is going to give him healing. Somebody say amen. What he told him to do made no sense. Help him. Touch him. Embrace him. He later actually calls Paul brother. Oh, God. The enemy of the church is now a brother. Now, here's why. I want to finish with this. Why you need to go even though it makes no sense. When you go, the revelation is confirmed. The Bible says that Paul had received the vision about Ananias. God had already spoken to, An- to Paul about a man he didn't even know. I was in my office yesterday, and I saw a coin on my desk. Stand with me. Coin on my desk. And it was a coin that was given to me by a member of the church, and it said, put on the whole arm of God. And I've had that thing on my desk maybe a year, maybe a two. And I really didn't pay attention. I said, you know what? This is pretty nice. Somebody paid some extra money for it. And, you know, I'm going to put this in a visible place. Put a horn on God. And then it had every part of the armor of God. And so I'm twirling this thing around in my hand. And then I get a call from Minister Will. And he said, you know, I was with some friends in New York on this week. And he said, I was walking across the street. And my friend said, you were hit by a bike. He said, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything. And then he said, I noticed that there was a guy on the ground, bike on the ground, and then the guy stands up and says, where's your shield? He saw a shield. He felt nothing. We're talking about the armor. The armor. What God does, he confirms. I'm looking at the coin, and the phone call comes. God will confirm the revelation. What you've been praying about and other people shouldn't know about, they'll walk up to you in church and say, by the way, I want you to know. And you say, how could you know that? How could you know that? Because God was speaking to them to prepare them for their restoration. Unless we go as damaged goods to those who are damaged. The Pauls of this world will never be released to become the great servants of God. If Ananias had said, well, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a deacon, why I got to take risks? Why I got to inconvenience myself? Why I got to make myself available to Paul? I probably might have been sleeping, might have been watching YouTube. So I don't know what he was doing, but God told him to go, and he said, I'm here, here I am. If Ananias had not obeyed God, Maybe we don't have the book of Galatians, the book of Ephesus, the book of Thessalonica. Maybe we don't have the book of Romans. Maybe 
God has someone for you with all your damage, with all the things that he's still yet preparing and repairing for you to speak a word of life because all of us are damaged. When I was a new Christian, I was a, I became a, I was a president of a Christian group before I got saved because I was a good sinner on my way to a Christless hell. I didn't cuss, I didn't drink, and they just assumed I was saved. And I knew a whole lot, a bunch of gospel songs and had a big mouth. That brother must be saved. But one Wednesday night, I prayed and I asked Jesus to come into my life. And God assigned me, unknowns to me, to the woman who was in charge of all of the college students of that, that were a part of that spiritual group that I was the president of for four years. And that woman, Norma Anderson, she committed herself to discipling me. I didn't know about men and women, just, I knew nothing about that. All I was a, a pagan who just got saved. I didn't want to go to church, wasn't interested in the Bible, wasn't interested in prayer, and I wasn't about to give up my Saturday nights. I was saved, though. <laughs> I was a new Christian. But every Saturday night, I get a phone call, picking you up for church. That woman came and got me to take me to church. I've been up all night Saturday doing my thing. It made me mad. Sometimes when I knew she was coming, I was going the opposite way. If I knew she was calling, I wouldn't answer the phone. I gave that woman hell because where I started is not where I am right now. I was damaged. I'm still damaged. But she would not give up on me. She took me to get my first Bible. My first, I didn't even know what a concordance was. She drove me to the Christian book. Christian, what? They don't got nothing to drink there. She took me to, to meet Dr. Banks and men who had graduated from Dallas Seminary. I didn't know what seminary was. I was damaged. But, so we got to recognize when you're trying to minister to people, everybody is not where you are. We got to meet them where they are and not give up on them. If they need a ride, I'll drive you. If you need me to pray for you, I'll pray for you. If you want to eat some food, I don't cook very well, but you're welcome. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I want you to understand that there are hundreds of people that are in ministry today around the world because of Norma Anderson. Working behind the scenes like Anias with all of the damage in her life, she was not willing to let convenience and rigidity, insensitivity to prevent her from helping people get to where they needed to go by recognizing where they were. We're damaged. Amen.